Our next reading of Scripture is going to continue from the prophets. We're going to be reading our today from Micah chapter 6. We'll be reading Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. That's Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with a thousand, with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do, ju- to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, Johnny Carson. That statement, the probably, I was going to say divides the church in half, but that's not accurate, probably an accurate statement. <laughs> There's some of you who know exactly who Johnny Carson is. There's some of you, like me, who remember him a little bit. And there's some of you that need to get on YouTube right now. Not, well, not right now. Get on YouTube at noon and, or when we get done. Um, and, uh, and look up Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson, of course, was the Tonight Show host for years. And when I was thinking about and reading about prophets, I thought of Johnny Carson. You know why I thought of Johnny Carson? The great, how do y'all say it? I can't pronounce it. Karnak. Do we agree it's Karnak? Okay. The gra- I, I just want to put an extra R in there. The great Karnak. Okay. For those of you who remember the great Karnak, you remember the joke. Others, you don't. He would, Johnny Carson would come out with Ed McMahon, and he would be wearing a very funny turban, and he would have an envelope. And inside the envelope would be a word or a phrase. And Johnny Carson would, would he, the gag was he was guessing or prophesying what was in the envelope. So he would st- say a statement, and then, and then he would open the envelope, and of course, that would be the joke. And so it would be like, the greatest, most engaging preacher of all time. And inside the envelope would be Andy Stoddard. You know, something funny like that. You know, so that, 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 that's how it worked. He was a prophet. And that's what... We, in our American popular culture, think of as a prophet. Like the great Karnak would be, for many people, that idea of what a prophet is or was. What's a prophet? A prophet somebody that, uh, that can tell the future. A prophet is a fortune teller, somebody that can, that can, can guess what's going to happen or read your mind or give this prophecy about what is to happen. You know, we think, think, think about the, 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 the prophet everybody talked about back in the old, back two decades ago, Nostradamus, this great prophet in the 15th century or whatever. He had these prophecies that he wrote that were all going to come true. Uh, you, you remember the, the world was going to end in 88 or something? Like Nostradamus predicted it or something like that. You know, he had these prophecies which were all very vague, and you know that's how that's how most of the pop culture prophets work. It's very vague. I, I'm going to prophesy that a football team will win the Super Bowl, stuff like that. You know, you know you're you know just one step above a fortune cookie. You know, very vague, no intent there. So that's what we that's what we think about with prophets, right? A prophet is somebody who can tell the future. You know, your your prophet, your prophecies, they're going to be about the future and future telling. So that's what we bring to in our mind. When we approach the prophets in Scripture, that's what we think about. These folks who could tell the future, what was going to happen. And, and, and let's be clear, there are a lot of prophets in the Old Testament who had to them futuristic visions. 
There was a prophecy to Isaiah, our virgin shall be with child, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. He should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yeah, that's Jesus. There's a prophecy in Isaiah, these beautiful passages in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passages. He, he is pierced for their transgressions and crushed from their sins. And the punishment that brought, us peace, brought them peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Well, yeah, that's Jesus. You see, particularly in the Gospels, particularly Matthew's Gospel, which we're going to talk about next week, where you will see them going back and saying, okay, when Jesus did this, this was to fulfill the prophet so-and-so or such-and-such. When Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem, that was to fulfill the prophecy. When Peter preached on Acts and Acts on Pentecost Sunday. We see he was quoting the prophet Joel. We see that, yes, within the prophets, there are, without a doubt, futuristic prophecies, if you will, of what the future will behold. But that was not what the prophets were. That was part of who they were, but that was not the totality of who they were. The prophets were men and women in the Old Testament that the Spirit of the Lord came upon, and they preached a word. So the, 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 the great moments in Scripture where everything changed, creation, obviously, the fall, obviously, the resurrection, and with the cross, the resurrection, obviously. But one of the great moments in Scripture where everything changed was Pentecost. Because on Pentecost Sunday, what you saw was this, pre-Pentecost, Pre-Pentecost, you will see very specific moments in the Old Testament where it will say, the Spirit of God came upon so-and-so. The Spirit of God came upon such-and-such. In Sunday school, my class this morning, we looked at Jeremiah. And it said, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. That Jeremiah had a specific word or a specific gift of the Spirit given to him in that moment. That was pre-Pentecost. Post-Pentecost, the Spirit went to everyone. It was flung wide for all to receive it and all to get it. Because reality, y'all, we can't be a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit we're convicted of sin. It's through the Holy Spirit we repent of our sin. It's through the Holy Spirit we are justified in our faith. It's through the Holy Spirit we are sanctified. You cannot be a Christian apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, pre-Pentecost, the Spirit fell upon an individual. Post-Pentecost, it was flung wide open to the world. So, I, I, to put it in Bogachita terms, pre-Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was a rifle, rifle shot. Post-Pentecost, was a buckshot. Very targeted at an individual, pre-Pentecost. Post-Pentecost, for everybody to get it. So the prophets were individuals upon whom the Spirit fell. They were itinerant Preachers, primarily. Some of them, like Isaiah, prophesied for many years in a kingly court. Jeremiah was much the same. Others, like Amos, he was a shepherd. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. And he came, and he preached his word that God gave for him. And then he left. And then he went back to tending sheep. I, I, for instance, y'all, I'm, I'm not a prophet, the prophet was the itinerant pastor who came into town, said the word that God had for them, and then left. I'm a pastor. I don't feel called to come in here. Now, when I preach revivals, that is a prophetic moment. 
In fact, my joke with, I, I, some of y'all remember Matt Hall. Uh, Matt used to be an associate here. I, I'd preached a revival for Matt a few years back. My, I, told him, I told him the first night of revival, I said, Matt, if I get done on Wednesday and you still have a job, I haven't done my job. The revival preacher comes in, stirs up a mess, and then leaves for, leaves for the pastor to clean it up. <laughs> so I like preaching revivals. I get, that's fun. But, but I'm a pastor, and that I feel called here to not just speak the word of the Lord to you, but to shepherd you beyond that word. And so my goal is to shepherd you and love you so that you know that I love you. And so when I do speak a prophetic moment, when I do have something specific that God wants you to hear from me, you know is not because I'm just... Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way. Keller said, my job is to persuade you to follow truth, not simply proclaim truth. I love that, y'all. I feel like my job as your pastor is not just to proclaim truth to you, but to persuade you to follow truth. Because if I simply proclaim truth to you, but it doesn't affect you in any way, shape, or form, then I've not accomplished anything. I've just said a word that's gone. My desire as your pastor is to proclaim the word of God to you, but to do it in a way that persuades you to follow it. When you know I love you, you're more likely to take the word with you. So my hope is as your pastor, you know how deeply I love you. And so when I do say a word that you may not like, or when God gives me a moment to call you to account on something or to expand upon something, you know it's not because I'm mad or I'm out to get you or I'm preaching against you, but it's because I love you and I think there's things you need to know. Think of it as a parent. As a parent, do not sometimes we as loving parents say what our kids need to hear knowing they may not like it? The Bible says, don't forsake the discipline of God. So as a pastor who feels called to a place, my prophetic moments are always bound up in my love of you and what you need to hear. And so, you know, yeah, I, I do have, you know, prophetically, one of the great mistakes of the church, I'll just mean St. Matthew's, I mean all the church right now, is that we are looking for, we are looking for salvation in the American political system. And... No political or politician ever died for your sins. The world has a Savior, and that Savior's name is Jesus Christ. And if we are looking for salvation in our current cultural American moment, we will be disappointed because no human died for your sins, and no human can save the world. Only Jesus Christ can. And the, the temptation for the idolatry of the church in this moment is to place our faith more in American politics than in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our Savior. And that is the foundation upon which the church is built. And sometimes it's very... Now, I'm not saying as a Christian, you shouldn't be involved in politics. Not at all. I'm not saying as a Christian, you shouldn't work to make the world a better place. Not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is this. The world will not be perfect when we elect the right politician, the world will be perfect when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we're shooting for, y'all. So let's be very careful not to mix our allegiances. I love you. I can say that to you because you know I love you. Where if I was just some guy on the road hollering at you, you'd just throw down your window and keep going. So I feel that urge to be a pastor but I thank God for the prophets who speak what God wants us to hear. So these prophets of the Old Testament, 
There are futuristic moments in their, in their ministry, without a doubt. They do speak about what God will do. But what they do most of all is they preach about the covenant. We, remember we said last week, well, the first week in books of Moses was about the covenant community formed. Last week we talked about how the community lived out with the history. Well, the prophets called the people to account for keeping the covenant. That was their thing is they called the people to live out the covenant, to keep the covenant that God had given to them. They were they were preaching about how the people did not, how they did not keep the covenant and the consequences for not keeping the covenant. We're going to talk about that in one second. So they, it was, their preaching was based upon the covenant formed in the books of Moses and how the people were not or were keeping the covenant. That was the key for them, the covenant. So there, there are two sets of prophets. I, I've told you to bring your Bible throughout this series. There are what's called, if you, if you have a Bible with you or pick out your pew Bible, you can turn to your table of contents. The prophets start right after Song of Solomon. A lot of the Old Testament are the prophets. There are two types of prophets in the Bible. There are the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, which is part of Jeremiah, basically, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Those are the major prophets. The minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. There is no difference in importance are really in content between the major and minor prophets. The difference is the major prophets are long and the minor prophets are short. Your major prophets are like Isaiah. Isaiah is 60-something chapters. Ezekiel, 30-something chapters. Uh, Daniel, 12, you know, in the uh, longer chapters. Your, your minor prophets are going to be shorter. So four chapters, five chapters, six chapters. Major prophets are long. Minor prophets are short. That is the only difference. It's not that one is... It's not that the major prophets are more important. It's that the major prophets are just longer books. The prophets, prophets, the prophets basically are recordings of their sermons. Like that's what you're, you're looking at the first podcast transcript. That's what you're looking at. You're looking at a recording of the sermons the prophets preached. The prophets were preachers who came into town, preached the word of the Lord, then would usually leave. The books of prophecy are the recordings of their sermon. The prophets primarily preach to the people about two major things. The first thing that was always so important for the prophets was about idolatry. It was about idolatry. Idolatry was always a key point of preaching for the prophets. And so you're sitting there thinking, okay, cool. I don't have a golden calf on my house. There's no golden calf on my mantle. I'm good to go. Let's move on from idolatry. Well, not so fast. I'm going to talk about what idolatry was. The primary God that the Israelites were tempted to worship were a class of Canaanite gods called the Baals, B-A-A-L, Baal, or sometimes pronounced Baal. These were a type of Canaanite gods, um, a class of gods. I'll explain why this is important in one second. Um, Israel, uh, most of the people in Israel in that day, they lived on three major ways. They were uh, merchants, many of them were merchants. Uh, some of them were shepherds, goat herders, things like that. But most of the people in Israel were subsistence farmers. And the farmers, like our parents and grandparents, they'd grow enough crops to sell some and some to eat, but they basically farmed to live. Well, there's no good land in Israel, y'all. 
You got your Jerusalem and south, the Negev Desert. They're, that's terrible land to farm. It's terrible farming land. That, there's some farming going on there now, but that's because of irrigation. Israel and Jordan are taking the water from the River Jordan to irrigate. And so there is some farming in south Israel, but it's, but it's irrigated, irrigated farming. Up the north part of the country, Galilee, um, Galilee has some good land. It's probably got the best growing land there. But there's an old Jewish legend that when God created the world, he sent the angels to the four corners of the earth. And the angel that flew over Israel had a tear in his bag and dumped three times the number of rocks necessary over the Holy Land. Galilee, which probably be the best place for growing land, is full of rocks. It's hard to farm there. It's hard now. It was nearly impossible in Jesus' day and before that. So, there were these Canaanite gods called the Baals. And they were the gods of fertility and of the harvest. So, here's what that meant. At no time during the Old Testament did the Jewish people stop worshiping Yahweh. All throughout, even when they were worshiping the idols, they continued to go to synagogue on Saturday. They continued to go to the temple on, on, on the Sabbath days. Like they, they continued with their festivals and their, and, and, and their rituals and all the stuff of religion. They continued worshiping Yahweh. They knew, they knew God was God. They knew Yahweh was God. They knew God was God. They trusted in God. But just... To be safe, we're going to worship Baal too. Now, now we, we, we know Baal's not God. Like, we, duh, you're God. We know you're God. We know Baal's not God. We, duh, we know that. We know you alone are God. We know that. But just to be safe and just to cover all of our bases, we're going to worship Baal too. It wasn't that they stopped worshiping God. It's that they started worshiping Baal because they didn't fully trust in God. Idolatry is not about having a golden graven image in your house. Idolatry is that thing that if you're going to be honest with yourself, you trust in more than God. For me, money is my idol. I'm like a lot of you. I didn't know that I grew up poor because everybody was poor. <laughs> you know, when you grow up on a dirt road, everybody's in the same boat as you are. So, you know, it's fine. So I grew up with a lot of resources. I grew up with an intense fear of debt because what if you lose your job and you lose everything? So my idol is the fact that I need so much money in my savings account. That's my idol. And I trust in God. Sure, I do. Sure, I do. I trust in God. But to really have peace, I've got to have that number right there. And if I don't have that number right there, then I don't have peace. So where's my peace come from? It's not from God, is it? It's from that number. Now, listen, the Bible does say no king goes to battle without counting the calls. This is not a call to not be smart financially. But what gives me the peace? Is it my faith in God or is it that, that number? If I'm going to be honest with you, which I'm trying to be as your pastor, a lot of times it's that number. So what do I do? I make sure I tithe. I make sure I give 10% of my income to the church. 
I try to give in abundance. And I try to be overly generous because I know me and I know what my idols are. And I'm going to fight back against them. I'm going to push back against them. Having faith as God is not, having faith is not simply an emotion, but it's a choice to not give in to the idols in your life. It's a choice to not give in. So what is, what is your idol? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's money. I don't know. But we've all got something, if we're going to be honest, that truly gives us peace beyond God. That's your idol. That's for, that, that for me it is. So God, because the Bible says you can't please God apart from faith. So I've got to trust in God in all things, all things, all things, even when it's hard and when it's stressful and when it's scary. That's what it means to worship God alone. To worship God alone is not just to come to church on Sunday. It's to actually put your entire faith in Jesus Christ, even if it's scary. If we make idolatry about having a graven image in our house, we're missing the point. It's about what is it in our life that really gives us our peace. Is it God or is it something else? So they, 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 they hammer them about idolatry, y'all. And then they, um, they um, would, um, would talk about how they lived. If we're covenant people, we're called to worship God alone. And if we're covenant people, then that means that we're supposed to live a certain way. We're supposed to live a certain way with our morality, with our sexual ethic, with our, with our lifestyle, with our giving, with our serving. We're called to live a certain way. The community forms this. And the community calls us to live this out. And they called people to account when they didn't live in that way because they were violating the covenant. So we see that for the people, that the, the primary points for the prophets were idolatry, and how they lived out the covenant with their ethics. Now, listen, there are other parts of the, of the prophets. That wasn't all they preached on. They also preached grace. One of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament is Hosea. Love Hosea. I don't know if you're familiar with Hosea. By the way, God called the prophets to do crazy things. Like, Jeremiah had to lay on the side for like 33, time, 33 weeks at one point to demonstrate the time of captivity. At one point, I think it was Jeremiah, God called him to make dung cakes. He had to bake bread over a fire that had feces in it to signify the impurity of the world. Like, they, 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 they didn't just preach. They had to actively do some crazy stuff. So the prophets, man, it's, there's, there's a lot in the prophets. One of my favorite prophets is Hosea. Because in Hosea, God calls Hosea to marry an adulterous wife. And over and over, she leaves Hosea. Over and over, she leaves him. And every time she leaves him, Hosea goes and brings her back. She leaves. He brings her back. He leaves. She leaves. He brings her back over and over and over again, signifying God's love for us. That over and over, we choose sin. Over and over, we choose our stuff. Over and over, we choose what we want. Over and over, we choose sin over God. And every time we fall, God wants us back. Every time. I love Hosea 10. Oh, Ephraim, how could I give you up? It was I who taught you to walk with cords of human kindness. My love is awakened within me. We see in Hosea the 
incomparable love of God when compared to our frailties, our weaknesses, our inadequacies. We see God's love pursuing us when we feel unworthy. We see that in the prophets. God's overwhelming love for his children in spite of their weakness. We see that. We see, and we do see in Hosea, I mean, and, and we do see in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the prophets what we see today in Micah. Do I want a thousand cattle as an offering? Do I want 10,000 rivers of oil as an offering? No. What do I want? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Remember, in their idolatry, the Israelites never stopped worshiping God. They worship God the entire time. So God just doesn't want me to come to church on Sunday and sing the songs and pray the prayers and be together. But God wants me living out the covenant daily, each day. It isn't, God is not pleased by, by, by me praising him with my mouth if my life denies him. God is not glorified if I speak words of praise, but my life does not match up with what I say I believe. He has shown thee, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require thee, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And y'all, if there's one thing our world needs right now, it's humility. You don't believe me, log on Facebook later today, or Instagram, or any social media. We need an understanding of who God is and who we are. And we've forgotten that. We have made ourselves the center of the universe. And that simply isn't how God intends it. Humility, C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. He has shown thee, O man, what is good to what does the Lord require of thee? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The prophets, we need the prophets. We need the prophets. And as your pastor, I try to speak the prophetic word that God has for you. But as somebody who feels called here, I try to always say it in the hopes of love and community and, and helping us grow together as who God calls us to be. But we need, our, we need the prophets. We need to be challenged. We need to be pushed. I think of um, a friend of mine who's a baseball coach. He'd always say, I'd lift weights if they weren't so heavy. Which is always stuck with me. That's how I feel. Well, think about, think about lifting weights. The only way you get stronger is to lift something heavier that you can't lift and work at it. If you only in your faith attempt the things that you can do by your own strength, you'll never grow. If your faith feels weak and lackadaisical and half dead right now, let me ask you this. When was the last thing you tried something big for God? When was the last time you tried something big for God? If you're only doing the things that you can do via your own strength, you'll never grow. It isn't until we try something big through his spirit that we actually grow. The prophets call us to that. May we read the prophets. May we be challenged by the prophets. 
And may we live out the ethical call of the prophets. May we smash the idols in our life. And may we love God and love God alone. Let's pray.